Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidnor, founder of leading Australian podcast agency, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers, it's the final episode of the year. Oh my goodness, what a year it's been. And while I've been busy interviewing guests for the Peers to Peers podcast all year long, as the founder and CEO of the Peers Project, I felt it was time to get on the other side of the mic and share my own story with you all. Earlier this month, I had the absolute honour and privilege of being one of the keynote speakers at the 2021 Colourful Conference, Australia's first leadership and entrepreneurship conference by women of colour for women of colour and allies. After doing the keynote, I thought what an opportunity to share it with you all right here on the podcast as our final episode of 2021. In the keynote, I share my journey of grappling with my identity as a woman of colour, what it was like to grow up in a biracial household and how it's only been recently that I fully embraced certain parts of myself. I also speak about my startup journey, why my drive led me to start a business at 25 and experience a hell of a lot of failures along the way, but how, despite it all, I've been able to create something that I'm truly proud of and do what I love. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, or if you're new here, Firstly, welcome, and please do take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs and help us on our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through entrepreneurship. Okay, peers, without further ado, here is my 2021 Colourful Conference keynote speech. Enjoy. Hello, sisters. Before I dive in, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which we are meeting today. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening. So when Winifred asked me to deliver this keynote speech, I took my usual approach to everything in life. Just say yes. 
But then I sat down to write it and realised there was a lot going on under the hood that I was going to have to dig deep to deliver something meaningful for you all, the incredible group of women sitting in front of me. Getting paid your value and worth whilst navigating white systems and structures. Could there be more jam-packed into that sentence? I want to tackle it by taking a second to pause and think about what white systems and structures actually means, because I don't think it's the same for everyone and certainly not for every woman of colour. The way we are raised and taught about white systems and structures plays a huge role, either overtly from our family of origin telling us their stories or by watching it in their actions and experiences. So I'm going to come to this from the personal and then bring it back to the professional. So stay with me while I give you a bit of insight into my origin story. I have a complicated relationship with the idea of whiteness because I'm half white. My mother is Greek, so my white half, if you will, is also culturally different to the Australian norm, but white nonetheless. In my house, Greek culture was the dominant culture. I was raised as a little Greek girl, which is kind of funny when you look at me, but it's definitely a dominant part of my identity. Greece was also the country where my parents met and eventually left to pursue further university studies in the States. And then because of the systemic racism my father suffered in the US as a Nigerian man, they decided to move to Australia. My parents moved to Australia with the idea that they would have a better chance here in particular my dad, and he certainly did. But of course, it was far from perfect. It was full of challenges, most related to race. But he never talked about these struggles. He just got on with it. As an engineer, he leveraged his experience into the construction industry and built a business with my mum that has been running for over 30 years. It sounds like the classic immigrant success story, but as with all immigrant success stories, I'm beginning to understand just how much pain and sacrifice came with this success. My dad's approach to navigating white systems and structures 30 odd years ago and to this day was not to dwell on it or address it. He would tell me and my sisters that we originated from hardship, but that hard work was the key to happiness and success. He really protected us from the barriers that he faced. But looking back now, I see that the only viable option for him to succeed was in fact to sidestep around white systems and structures to build his own business. There was simply no other way for him to climb any ladders and accumulate any wealth. And throughout my education, he would say things to me like, you need to be the CEO or bang on about the importance of business. And it became apparent to me that he had to make his own opportunities and that he knew I probably would need to as well. So he walked a delicate balance. He never ever reminded me or my sisters of any otherness. He never told us that being people of colour made us different. It was almost entirely ignored in our household. Upon reflection, this has been both good and bad. It meant that I moved through a very, very white schooling system without feeling inherently other. It has meant I've never internalised as much of his trauma 
as I might otherwise have done, but it also meant a disconnection from my Nigerian heritage because to celebrate it in our household would have meant acknowledging those roots and that story. And it also meant being blind to some of the realities I would come to face in adulthood. But as my company, The Pierce Project, has grown since founding it four years ago, and I've met and been exposed to so many incredible women of colour, leaders, mentors, and peers, I'm discovering a lot about myself and about how I'm reflected in the world around me. And however subconsciously my father's immigrant story taught me that to succeed, I was going to need to be the boss. This is probably an important moment to note the significance of what isn't referred to as either shadism or colorism. Fractures that occur within color-based communities on the idea that those with lighter skin receive better or more beneficial treatment than those with darker skin. Being half white, I'm sure my experience of the world has been made different by that fact. I'm certain my lived experience would have been very different. For example, if I had two Nigerian parents. However, I can only speak from my own perspective and truth today. But I would like to acknowledge that I understand the nuance and complexity of that factor in the lived experience of all people of colour. So I suppose white systems and structures have not always felt as oppressive to me as they otherwise could because I was raised in a half-white, half-black household where my father's blackness, and therefore my own, wasn't really discussed. And certainly, the white structures and the potential limits they placed on me were not fully recognised. But it sure as hell doesn't mean they didn't exist. And as I get older and wiser, I see where I have bumped up against these structures, and how through watching my father's experience, I learnt how to try and fit myself into a system that hasn't always been on my side. Looking back now, starting my business was really born from feeling utterly exhausted, navigating through the traditional structures that didn't seem to have any space for me, for my authentic self. I'd spent the final two years of my studies working in corporate finance, the field I was supposed to pursue post-graduation, and it had left me feeling completely confused, lost, and deflated. I was looking at those in leadership positions in my industry, mostly old white guys, and felt the soul-destroying realisation that my life, if I stayed on this trajectory, was going to look very, very stale. And even if I got to the top, who would I be surrounded by? Certainly not my people. And in trying to get to the top of this corporate finance world, I could already feel myself trying to mould and reshape my personality and strengths to mirror something that, frankly, was impossible for me to mirror. And in that environment, I could feel my full potential dulling every day and moving further and further away from me. So on the brink of all of this existential despair, at the ripe old age of 23, I launched Peers to Peers, a podcast where I could chew the fat with people just like me, young, ambitious, and passionate. People who actually wanted to go to work in the morning. I certainly didn't know anyone that met that description in the finance world. Was this even possible? Could you do something you truly care about 
and turn it into a viable career path? I really had no idea. But I felt something deep within my roots telling me I could be my own boss. Then when I stumbled across the Forbes 30 under 30 list, it honestly felt like a lightning bolt. I wanted to speak, meet and speak with these people, pick their brains, jump inside their heads. I felt absolutely compelled to speak with every single one of them, to ask them how they did it, how they built their businesses, how they were making such an impact. And maybe, just maybe, I'd work out how I could do it too. In the months following, with all of my conviction and naivety, I cold contacted every single person on the Forbes 30 under 30 list via LinkedIn. Not surprisingly, I heard crickets. Especially when you consider I was asking these people if I could interview them for a podcast that literally didn't exist yet. But I kept at it. I kept sending those messages. Then a yes finally came from Alexa Buckley, the co-founder of the Made to Measure New York City shoe brand Margot. I knew I had to go all in, which meant jumping on a plane to New York City to make this interview happen. From there, I lined up another 14 interviews over the course of two weeks. That roll of the dice and those two weeks in New York City changed my life. I was suddenly in an environment where people who not only looked like me, but who were as passionate and as bold as me were making waves. Seeing powerful women of colour in leadership positions, building their own ventures, was an experience that cannot be understated in terms of its impact on me. As Marion Wright Elderman once said, you can't be what you can't see. And suddenly I could see. I could see everything I wanted to be and every possibility laid out in front of my eyes. It felt like for the first time I'd found my people. These people showed me that it's possible to turn your dream into reality through entrepreneurship, to do what you truly love and what truly sets your soul on fire, and not just as a side hustle, but as a full-blown business and career. Whilst my dad's story taught me the power of entrepreneurship, I definitely didn't think it was possible at such a young age. Whether it's being a woman, a woman of colour, or simply being young and naive, it took this trip to New York City for me to tie the threads of my upbringing together with my passions to go all in and back myself. After New York, I took myself over to London, where I again interviewed another cohort of amazing young entrepreneurs, and then back home to Australia to revel in the glorious moment of quitting my job in finance. For anyone who's yet to flip the bird on their corporate job, I couldn't recommend it enough. But that's also to say it didn't come without a lot of fear and trepidation. Having quit my part-time finance job with exactly zero graduate offers on the table, I had no other choice but to be laser-focused on turning this side-hustle passion project of mine into a fully-fledged business. The next two and a half years were a blur. I went from failure to failure to failure to failure. I had no network outside of my podcast guests, no real-world business experience, and quite frankly, absolutely no idea what I was doing. Whilst we now have podcasts coming out of our ears, in 2017, very few people were tuned into the medium. I'd managed to hustle my way into meetings with top executives to pitch them my podcast, only to be met with questions like, but 
how do I listen? Or worse, can you explain to me what a podcast is? It felt like every room I entered was full of white men who not only didn't understand me, but had absolutely no desire to try. On my last legs, with a very empty bank account, I was all but going to give up hope. But then the impossible happened. I went to pitch to a leading Australian university, to their chief marketing officer, a young white guy. I was already prepared for the usual response, but to my delight, this guy really saw me and saw my idea. This was the meeting that changed everything. I started showing him our pitch deck, telling him about the podcast, our achievements, our goals, and my vision, and why I thought this university should sponsor the podcast. After I pitched, I paused, waiting for the usual polite decline, but instead I heard him say, this is really great stuff, Michelle. What a project you've got here. Look, I know podcasting is new, but I'm fascinated by the medium and, and, you know, was wondering if you'd be interested in helping us create our own podcast. I mean, you clearly know what you're doing. Could you work with us to create our own university-wide podcast? Perhaps you could even host it too. My heart started racing in total disbelief. I hardly knew what to say. This was the first almost yes I'd received. This was also the first time I'd been asked to make a podcast for a business or a brand. Something instinctively kicked in and I said, yep, no problem at all. I can do that for you. We can make it happen. And you can just imagine my mind like little duck's feet underwater. A classic fake it to make it move. But like any entrepreneur will tell you, say yes and the rest will follow. He responded with, okay, great, Michelle, we'll send through the quote and we'll get going. I left the meeting dumbfounded. I learned two key lessons that day. The first is that while we move through these white systems and structures that are not always or even often going to listen to us, there will be the occasional exception to the rule. It certainly doesn't mean that we should simply accept this fact and knock on a thousand doors until we find one enlightened white male CEO who's going to listen to us. No, the system needs to change and we need to continue to fight for that change. But it can help to not paint all people from one group with the same brush. It reminded me to stay open and stay curious. What I later discovered was that he was an LGBTQI plus male, a gay male. As a minority himself, he was in fact displaying allyship. He could see the hard work and passion that had gone into my side hustle project, but beyond that, he could actually see me. He could see a young, naive, yet insanely ambitious and determined woman of colour who was stepping out of her comfort zone, putting herself out there and trying to do something different. As a member of a minority group, he was equipped with the empathy required to put himself in someone else's shoes. My biggest takeaway from that experience was that allyship can be found in white systems and structures. There are allies that are willing to extend a hand and help us on our journey. But we need to ask. We need to not be afraid to ask because you never know who might in fact be an ally. The second thing I learned that day was that in saying yes to everything, I'd uncovered the market I was trying to tap into and the business I was building revealed itself to me, rather than the other way around. I let the demand guide the business model. 
From that moment on, we became a company that makes podcasts for brands and businesses as part of their marketing mix, talent acquisition strategy, employee engagement strategy, and most recently, as part of their diversity and inclusion strategy. After years of confusion and letdowns, my little podcast, Side Hustle Passion Project, had led to the creation of my business, The Peers Project, which I'm so humbled and proud to say is Australia's leading podcast agency and the country's only BIPOC female-led podcast agency, making podcasts for some of the biggest Australian brands, including Fortune 500s like Alibaba Group, to powerhouse brands, including Indeed.com, Shopify, Forever New and Modibody. Last week, we won the Pause Awards for Business Innovation and became finalists at the Australian Podcast Awards. As a business, we have team members and clients across Australia with our HQ based here in Melbourne. It's been one hell of a ride over the past four years, but I wouldn't take back a thing, not even the string of my early failures. So that's how and why I started the Peers Project, but I think it's time to get stuck into how to get paid what we are worth. So I'm going to share two pivotal moments over the last two years where I've had to navigate white systems and structures to get paid what I'm worth. Before I dive in, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you all for waking up every single day to navigate a world that wasn't built for us. It's not always easy, and sometimes it's truly painful. Belonging is essential to the human experience, and so when otherness is felt, it's felt deeply. So more often than not, we are taught to fit in and to not stand out, to assimilate, to shrink. And so I want to take a moment right now, halfway through my keynote, to acknowledge each and every one of you for showing up every single day to navigate through white systems and structures. Every damn day. I feel you. I see you. I hear you. And I'm not here to tell you it's going to be all right because I know that that's not what you want to hear. But I am here to acknowledge you and share with you how I've worked to navigate through these white systems and structures, all of this whiteness, and how I've been able to get paid what I'm worth, ask for more again and again and again, and raise my voice, even when I've been told that I'm too much or to just hush. So the first pivotal point of my journey was gaining sponsorship for the podcast. This was a big one. In my personal podcast, Peers to Peers, I interview incredibly talented Forbes 30 Under 30 listees and about their entrepreneurial journeys. It took me several years to get any kind of sponsorship for this podcast, but it was well worth the wait. So back in 2018, after one year of running the Peers Project, having travelled across New York City, London and Australia, I was running out of money. Fast. This was my first year officially in business and it was a complete and utter disaster. I was a naive, albeit very ambitious, 25-year-old trying to start a business. And yes, the operative word here is trying, but objectively, I was failing miserably. As a last-ditch attempt to revive my dying business, I thought gaining a sponsorship deal for my Peers to Peers podcast might be the golden goose that could save the day. 
So off I went, connecting with top executives from leading organizations across Australia on LinkedIn. And yes, I am absolutely LinkedIn obsessed. It is by far my favorite social media platform. Please connect with me there, sisters, and I encourage you all to get on it. So from all of my LinkedIn groundwork, I found myself in meeting after meeting after meeting with your stock standard white guy, executives, asking for financial support through the form of sponsorship. After about the 15th meeting, I was completely deflated. I was starting to really doubt myself, like a lot. I knew we didn't have 100,000 downloads or listens like other major players, but I always thought my powers of persuasion were strong and compelling. So I started to doubt my core skill set. I figured it must be me. I'm just not good enough. This was a real breaking point for me. I felt invisible in a system I was trying to navigate with every knockback and every no, I felt myself becoming smaller and smaller. I felt rejected, cast aside, and misunderstood. And I really, really, really wanted to quit. I wanted to throw in the towel. I wanted to give up. After a year of giving the business everything I had, I had absolutely nothing to show from it. To be honest, it was humiliating. Of course, with the benefit of hindsight, I can see that a year is nothing at all. I can see now that I had many more stones to unturn. But at that moment, I could see none of that. So I quit. I threw in the towel. Now, let me clarify. I quit trying to find sponsorship for my podcast. I didn't throw in the towel on my business entirely. And then two and a half years later, in late 2020, I revisited the idea of podcast sponsorship. By this stage, the Peers Project had a track record of over 100 podcast episodes with young, diverse entrepreneurs. Through the podcast agency that we'd since created, we had a business model that worked. We had a proven concept. Despite COVID, the business was rapidly growing and in no small part due to a team of incredibly talented creatives I'd assembled along the way. And then after the explosion of BLM rallies in the US that then swept the globe, we suddenly saw huge interest from major Australian publications like Marie Claire Australia in featuring the Peers Project as a female black-led business. I was in a completely different headspace. I'd regained my strength. I knew my worth. And I knew that what we were doing was really damn good and one of a kind. I also learnt so much of those past two and a half years about business, about sales, and what it really takes to enroll someone into what you're doing. I was ready to give pitching for podcast sponsorship another shot. And although it still took several months of cold calling, pitching, and chasing up leads, I had the energy and the conviction to keep pushing. Eventually, I landed a meeting with the head of marketing at Shopify Asia Pacific. Again, I was dealing with a straight white guy, but there was allyship in him from the very beginning. He didn't seem cut from the regular mold and it paid dividends for me not to write him off as someone who wouldn't see me. He immediately bought into my vision and mission and wanted to partner with us by buying our premium sponsorship package. So suddenly we went from no sponsorship to sponsorship from the biggest global entrepreneurship company in the world. 
I was in utter shock and disbelief when I received the email. I still remember I was out with a girlfriend and as soon as that email came through, I screamed so loudly right into my girlfriend's ear. I just couldn't believe that after all of this time, it had finally happened. So my key learning from this experience is that sometimes we need to put something down for a moment in order to pick it back up and run with it. And that it's not a failure to call time out on something if it isn't working. The race is long. And if you're pushing against a closed door, sometimes the key is in knowing when to stop pushing. Basically, sisters, trust your instincts and put your energy where it is best served. So the second pivotal moment in my journey was raising our prices and signing my first six-figure client. So fast forward to 2021, and the Peers Project was going from strength to strength. And I was not unaware of this being a small miracle, given that we were and still are in the midst of a pandemic. But we were still pricing our podcasting packages in the affordable bracket. Not low or dirt cheap, but certainly not top dollar either. Having ended 2020 with a bang, signing our first ever global client, Alibaba Group, I knew that that kind of brand on board, we could start charging more, or in other words, what our skills and expertise are really worth. So at the end of 2020, I increased our prices threefold. Yep, that's right. Not doubled, but tripled our prices. Pretty ballsy move, right? Part of why I felt like I could take that leap without alienating others from securing future work and ourselves from securing future work is that we shifted our primary target audience at the same time. Because we landed Alibaba and had sponsorship from Shopify, I made the decision that we would only service large corporations and organizations with 500 or more employees. It was a big, bold shift but a necessary one if we wanted to reach the growth goals I had in mind for us heading into this year. The price increase simply matches large media companies that offer the exact same service. I asked myself, why can't we charge the same amount for the same offering? I know that we offer a service that is second to none. The boutique size of our agency means that we deliver that service with unparalleled passion. And we can really nurture our clients in a way that big media organizations just can't. So in fact, what we offer is likely a better service. And so we went to market and started pitching again. And soon enough, I found myself in discussions with another global brand. Of course, their entire marketing team was white and was headed up by a white male. But nonetheless, I knew I had to go ahead with pitching them our new prices I remember drafting up the quote once we'd gone to that stage and boy, oh boy, was I nervous. But I just told myself, if you don't ask, you'll never know. Once I'd sent through the quote, it was crickets for a while, but I didn't let that defeat me. I just kept touching base and following up. And soon enough, I received a call from their head of marketing. We chatted through the various pricing tiers and packages and I told him, look, if you want to do this properly, and really give it a go, going with our top tier package is really just the way to go here. Otherwise, honestly, for what you're trying to achieve, there's just no point. Just don't bother. And with some negotiation back and forth, he ended up settling our largest package. And just like that, I'd signed our first six-figure deal. It wasn't easy to get there. It took me, one, not lowering my standards, but raising them. 
two, backing myself and my company's ability to deliver a product worthy of the price tag. And three, having the bravery to put the quote on the table. Now my mindset isn't that we're too expensive or we're asking for too much if someone declines a proposal. I know that it's simply because they just can't afford us. So that brings me to the final segment of today's keynote, and that is my top three learnings from my journey thus far. So learning number one is to know your worth and value to make power moves. So knowing your worth means intimately understanding how you add value as a person or as a business, because at the end of the day, in business as in life, it all comes down to perceived value and value exchange. That's really how we have to see it. Getting paid our worth means knowing our value and the value that we bring to the table and then being able to effectively communicate that value, aligning it to the needs and the deep desires of the person who we're selling or pitching to. So step one in that process to knowing your worth and value is to identify your own unique skills, abilities, and talents. We all have them, even if we don't know it or can't see it. For example, some of my unique skills, abilities, and talents are my ability to form genuine and authentic relationships with those around me, both personally and in business. My ability to make people feel instantly comfortable with me and trust me. My ability to inspire people by just showing up and being 100% authentically myself. These are some of the things that I used to take for granted. What are often labeled soft skills, which somehow makes them less valuable than, say, being able to crunch numbers on the spreadsheet. I used to think everyone must have these skills, that they're not really skills at all. But it wasn't until I looked deep within, spoke to some of my closest family and friends about what they saw as unique about me, that I began to understand what I bring to the table and what my true value is. So do not underestimate your soft skills, which as women of color, we have a propensity to develop naturally in order to navigate difficult situations and white systems and structures. So step two in knowing your value and worth is identify your professional education, skills, and unique experiences. So after identifying your soft skills and what makes you authentically you, think about the experiences you've had that reinforce your power. That can be anything from education, professional skills, to unique experiences. So for example, for me, I studied a Bachelor of Commerce, Bachelor of Arts, and a Diploma in Chinese Mandarin at university. I speak two foreign languages, French and Chinese. I've been media trained and have over 10 years of public speaking experience in English and also other languages. Outside of Australia, I've lived in Shanghai, Paris, and Northern UK. I've traveled every year to Southeast Asia since I was 13, apart from the last two years of the pandemic, and learned about how to integrate and embrace different cultures and ways of living. I had under five years of professional experience before I dived headfirst into entrepreneurship. I definitely could have seen this as a negative, but instead, I chose to see my desire to chase my dreams in early age as a positive. So get detailed when you're doing this exercise. As you can see, I didn't just stop at higher education. Your own personal journey and unique experiences 100% contribute to your value and prove what you bring to the table. 
Now I'm in a position to employ people. I see life experience as one of the most valuable things on a CV. So step three in knowing your value and worth is to effectively communicate your value by aligning it to an organization or a person's needs and deep desires. So when you clearly show an organizational person how your value helps them achieve their greatest desires and in turn solve their biggest pain points, you put yourself in a position that makes you invaluable. So for example, when I was putting together the brief and the pitch deck to gain sponsorship for the Peers to Peers podcast, I included a snapshot of not just the podcast statistics, but also our mission and vision of the podcast and what we'd already achieved and what we were looking to achieve in the next five years. I then aligned our mission of amplifying diverse stories and voices to our potential sponsors' mission and core desires, which was to invest in diversity and inclusion and support minority-owned businesses. By aligning the two, I showed them how they can get what they want while we get what we want. It was a mutually beneficial value exchange that had social purpose at its heart. And then I added a price tag to it and not a cheap one at that. So the key lesson here is that you need to think strategically about how you communicate your value and not just what your value is. So now onto the second takeaway from my journey thus far. Always ask for more. Don't be afraid that you're asking for too much. As women, and even more so as women of color, we've always been told to pipe down or just be happy with what you've got. But I think challenging this and asking for more than you might even believe you deserve will ultimately allow you to get to where you want to go. For me, learning to ask what I wanted without shame or guilt was key. And then from that place, learning to ask for just that little bit more. Because it's when you ask for more that you can really start to challenge people's expectations of you and your own expectations of yourself. If I'd never asked to not just be paid, but to be well paid, then I'd probably be selling myself short. And when you sell yourself short, you begin to believe that what you're trying to achieve is impossible. And it's not, because nothing really is. In my first year of running the business, the podcast agency, I really struggled with asking for more. We were new. We didn't have a lot backing us. To be completely honest, I didn't even know how much value we did add to our clients. But after 12 months in the game, I realized that we had a hell of a service offering and were uniquely positioned to own the podcasting arena here in Australia. I took note of the feedback, both positive and constructive, that our clients were giving us and did everything in my power to pivot and optimize, pivot and optimize, pivot and optimize, until it got to the point where I was 100% certain that we offered something of extreme value. And then I learned to communicate that value to prospective clients. By knowing our worth and my own personal worth as the leader of the pack, I could ask for more and feel really damn good doing it. That's where we want to get to, my fellow sisters. We need to see our own value and then put an even higher price tag on it. And then the final takeaway from my journey thus far is if they can do it, why can't I? This was the very question that changed my entire life. It was the question that grew louder and louder in my head as I interviewed all of those amazing Forbes 30 under 30 listees in New York City. I particularly remember this question rising up 
after I interviewed Brittany Garth, a black female entrepreneur coaching women in over seven different countries, shattering all kinds of ceilings along the way. As she talked about the challenges and the barriers, the no's and the slam doors, many of which related to her race and gender, rather than disempower me, it just made me ask myself, well, if she can do it, why can't I? So my dear sisters, although these white systems and structures weren't built for us, if I've learned anything on my journey, it's that entrepreneurialism is, in a sense, built for everyone and anyone. We live in an age where so many tools are at our disposal to make something from nothing if we truly want to. It doesn't mean we can avoid white systems and structures entirely. The fabric of society is built around them and as people of colour, we will face inevitable barriers in both overt and covert racism. But if we approach business building with a clear sense of purpose and focus, with the knowledge that other women have blazed the trail before us, it becomes that little bit less scary and all the more possible. There is solidarity and there is allyship to be found within these structures. So just like my father taught me, be bold, raise your voice and demand to be heard and always, always ask for more. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest beer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst 